So Sue Bell is some um, bellwether wines, and we're going to welcome her to the show now. Good morning to you, Sue. Good morning. How are you? Going well, thank you, and congratulations on your nomination. Oh, thank you. Excuse my croaky voice. I stayed up to watch Ash Barty last. <laughs> it was fairly compelling, hey? <laughs> you know that. Ah, oh, very emotional. It was lovely. Yeah, I know. And that, you know, the, I don't know if you kept watching at the end, but all of that presentation stuff is. That was a real insight into the inner sanctum. Absolutely, yeah. 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 A, they make it a pretty big deal, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty special. Yeah, definitely. So hopefully we see Barty on the on the winner's board a number of times. You see Navarat Lova and a few familiar names, you know, repeated on there as, as winners. So hopefully Ash can do it over and over. Yeah, yeah. And she's just, I love her humility and... Honesty, yeah, really refreshing. Yes, I agree with that. Um, and that, that's similar to yourself. People talk to you, talk about your authenticity and things. So um, um, tell us a little bit about, about Sue Bell and, and Bellwether. And um, I'm, I'm keen to sort of to hear about, you know, the origins of the, of the brand and, and the, uh, the shearing shed that you bought and, and then have renovated and made into the winery. Um, so tell us a little bit about yeah Bellwether and, and, and what it means and what it stands for. Well, I started Bellwether about 12 years ago and uh, it started with an old shearing shed that is quite beautiful. You know, it was architecturally designed back in that uh, post-Gold Rush era where some people that had probably done well out of that then invested in agriculture. Um, so it's not often you see, you know, a, a stone-built, architecturally designed shearing shed. So it is quite a beautiful old building. Yeah. Uh, but it's a building that's endured, you know, 160 years of hard work. And I reckon that's the essence that runs through it, is that grit and determination. So, you know, I've often felt when I've been working there very late at night, on my own, that you know, there's those people before me that have uh, have done it, and it keeps you going. Yeah, I bet it's a that's a nice nice touch. Um, so the uh, the the shearing shed is the sort of essentially the 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 hub for you. Um, so all the winemaking is on site, um, mm-hmm. and I was interested in in reading that uh, it, there's a real community sort of focus and community-minded spirit um, where where you will sort of help, um, say, growers might bring some fruit to, to make into wine and, and have some assistance with that. And um, tell us a little bit about that, that sort of, yeah, I suppose that community spirit. Well, because all of my winemaking equipment is tiny mm. uh, to make small parcels, I figured that was potentially useful for people wanting to uh, do trials or maybe put their toe in the water to potentially start their own brand as well. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to have more of a community feel, you know, that instead of just getting fruit off and, you know, getting bottled wine out the other end, that people could be involved in the process if they want to. Yeah. And I've definitely found in my years working with growers that um, that, opportunity to see inside the winemaking process really uh, excites them and makes them um, drive for quality more 
as well. So, you know, the earlier days of the weather, the little crash of December that I had was given to me by one of my growers to use. And it was something that, you know, you'd see backyard home winemakers using and, you know, I was trying to use it in a, commercial a more winery. commercial setting. Yeah, but a, but a little commercial winery. And so when they delivered fruit on the back of their ute, they had to help me do it because you needed two people to pick it up and move it from one fermenter to the next. And so these growers that in some cases I'd worked with in a, a corporate environment were now helping me shovel, you know, the fruit into the winery and um, literally. And and it was just a lovely, uh, I guess, moment, you know, for them to finish their growing season. So their contribution to what the final wine was going to be and then, you know, that handing over to me. Mm. And some of the conversations I had with various growers at that time were really lovely. People I'd known a long time, but then, you know, if when you share hard work or helping each other like that, um, I think it grows to a, a new depth. Mm. So in cases, the community is that they're growers for me and wines I make and their, wine, their names are on it on the back label, or I'm making wines for them, for them to start their own label. And then a few other people have come on board over the years and then even some members of the public come and spend a week doing vintage with us so that they can get an insight into mm. how wine's made. So. And, it's, and it's the size of the winery that sort of allows for all of that then, as you were saying. Um, yeah. Because it's, uh, yeah. It's just to demystify it. You know, like it's, there's so many things. I love when people ask questions about why something's done. You know, you, your answer is always, well, it depends. It depends on the season. It depends on, yeah. you know, what it tastes like or what's happening, you know. So, um, you know, it's, it's like cooking or anything else, you know. I mean, I love that every, every season is different. Yeah. So I don't have a... a standard recipe that I follow. Yeah, and so your your wines express the vintage, but also the sites around Coonawarra and, and um, elsewhere that you... So you bring some Chardonnay up from Tassie and... Yep, Chardonnay Riesling from, from Tassie, which um, I was joking with someone yesterday that we're a very, a very good COVID winery. You can come to Burweather and you don't have to cross any borders to try lots of different wines. <laughs> Well, very handy at this time of year, <laughs> in this uh, period we're going through. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, we've spoken to, to a few winemakers over, you know, probably the last 18 months um, you know, from Coonawarra, and and they have all really said that South Australians rediscovered Coonawarra over this time because they couldn't go, go out of the state and couldn't go overseas. And so you have you found that as well? Oh, it's hilarious you could almost write the script when they come in saying you know where are you from oh we're from Adelaide and their next statement will be and I've never been to Kunawara before yeah. so I'd always follow it up with well can you please then visit Langhorn Creek in the Clare Valley because they, they might appreciate seeing you <laughs> <laughs> yes Clare being just that little bit further on hey um, yeah yeah it's um so that it's I mean that that's great and I think it's probably happened here in Victoria as well. We we were a little more restricted coming out of the city into the regions, but um 
but certainly, yeah, it's a repeated theme over first South Australian regions. I'm, I must say, having that border reopen to Victoria each time it's happened, just it makes our day and week. You know, we love. Um, we've I've always felt like we're almost more Victorian than South Australia, where we live, mm. the radio, and to etc. But to have at times that hard border up is just seriously weird. And um, you know, I feel really grateful when we have people, particularly from Melbourne, who've done it pretty hard the last year, coming through to be able to provide them, you know, with some hospitality and space and and just gratitude for what they've done for the rest of us hmm. yeah well because it's, it's it's funny isn't it you, you sort of think Coonawarra is a you know South Australian wine region but it's it's as far from Adelaide as it is from Melbourne so yeah, um, yeah. I can see why you'd get you know half half really um, of visitors but so people can come in um, and the term I suppose it uh, is it's not your term because of your surname, but um, the the bell tents that you have for the glamping. Um, yeah. How many of those have you got, and how easy you know are they are they booked you know regularly? Um, they book up and then they cancel when borders close, so they've been going up and down quite yeah. regularly lately. But um, uh, weekends are usually it's quite advisable to book, but then often midweek people can can grab and. Um, people say, oh, isn't it cold to go camping in Coonawarra in the winter? And, you know, my answer is absolutely. It's actually quite cold in Coonawarra at night time in the summer. That's why our That's wine why Riesling away. works. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or why Cabernet has thick skin. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, if you're going to go camping, to me, having a campfire and to drink red wine, winter's the best time. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. a good point. Um, yeah. So that's something people can go to your website and find out about all of the, the accommodation side of things. Um, they can. Uh, and then, uh, and so from a cellar door point of view, are you are you open each day or just towards the weekend or what's the thing? We're open every day, 12 till 4, and then we are open four to five just for tastings for people staying with us. So we kind of make that a special yeah. one at the end of the day. Nice. Yeah. And then we have um, got a produce chef who uh, cooks some beautiful things from our garden. And it, as it turns out, a, an old shearing shed has quite a lot of old sheep poo lying around. <laughs> just just as it happens. <laughs> yeah. So um, she makes a lot of produce that people can kind of grab or they can order in some, like, platters and things where we make everything on site. So they're quite lovely. Yeah. Or, or camp ovens are really popular in the in the wintertime too. Yeah, I bet. Um, so, and uh, so we just, if we look look back at uh, at history and your and your winemaking um, journey, you, you started off with some of the bigger firms and as a lot of people will. And um, so... Southcorp and and working on Penfolds there and then over to Hardy's and um, so tell us a little bit about that journey and then where you when you discovered no I really want to do something and do something smaller you know for myself. When I first got into wine, it was when I was a student studying engineering and 
with friends, we'd go wine tasting in McLaren Bar. And it was the little places that, you know, we really enjoyed that personal touch with people. You know, they weren't necessarily as glamorous as some of the others, but the people were very genuine. And so my first experiences of working in wineries were those type of wineries. And while I was a student at uni, I would work vintages and prune and vineyards in that scale of winery where you were, um, you know, they weren't quite as well equipped, uh, but you were dealing day to day with the owner of the business. So you kind of felt the highs and lows of everything going through it with them. So then when I left uni and I was originally working for... um, Joe Grilly at Primo Estate when I was offered the graduate program with Southcorp and it was Joe that encouraged me because I had zero interest in working for a big company Um, you know I had that whole oh it's industrial blah blah and Joe was like you know you'll learn a lot more than I can pass on to you and I am eternally grateful for him kind of pushing me out of my comfort zone um, because, but, you know, I did go and work at Lindemann's Caradoc in Mildura and, you know, Seffold's Great Western and then into Coonawarra, fortunately, for to um, Winds and British Home back then and then up to Penfolds. Mm. And you think of some of those labels like Lindemann's and Seffold's and, and Winds and, and Penfolds and having the privilege to try from the sellers of those wines at dinners with the winemakers is history of Australian winemaking. So it was a really great addition to your winemaking degree to then listen and hear those stories and try those old wines. And that, you know, was a, a really, I don't know, it helped me a lot in my journey then to think about um, traditions and, and wine. And then travelling overseas and seeing, you know, the even longer traditions elsewhere, it's that respect and um, that fact that you're quite a little cog each year yeah. in in that winemaking. So I think it, it keeps you grounded. Um, and you have to learn to work with people. So, you know, when I ultimately ended up at, at Stonehaven with Hardy's, a lot of the growers there were proud farmers but quite new grape growers and so even though I was only um, a few years out of uni I still had more focus passion knowledge on on wine but you know they knew more about the land and the climate that we're in so we kind of taught each other Mm. Um, and then I was lucky that you know Ultimately, I got that responsibility for that place and so I was looking after all of the limestone coast fruit and then the premium whites from Victoria, Tumbarumba and Tasmania. And so, you know, having gone from Pennies where, you know, I worked as just a um, assistant winemaker in the team that had been developing Yatana and seeing where they were sourcing fruit from to then parties and working with, uh, Tom Newton and, you know, Ed Carr and uh, Peter Dawson and then, mm. you know, Steve Panel, Paul Lapsley, you know, just amazing mentors um, and incredible 
fruit from from quite exciting places. And so that's where my um, interest in Tasmania grew. Yeah, so when I, I when I left that, so when they, you know, ownership changes and whatnot, and selling when someone Stonehaven was um, from the market and had an uncertain future, I, I put my hand up for a redundancy pretty quick and then driving home saw this old shearing shed and thought, I would love to do something with that and um, I had some travel planned prior to knowing about any of this, these changes in my life and so I got to go to France, I got to go to India and some really different reasons for travel but great things for um, making me think about what mattered in my life yeah. and what I really cared about. And I knew that I loved this community and I loved making wine here in Kunawara and um, I was really interested and wanted to support and build more awareness for Rat and Bully, but I did not want to let go of Tasmania. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why you've got this quite eclectic range under bellwether. Um, yeah, well, it's, um, I mean, that you can see why, you know, when you explain that, you can see, um, you know, working for these big firms where they've, yeah, they've, they've got the ability to, to buy lots of fruit in from different regions and for you to then, yeah, to be exposed to it firsthand and then now go and find that fruit for yourself, but, but with a real knowledge about the types of um, areas that you, you really want to make wine from or, you know, yeah. get fruit from. Um, so do you spend a lot of time down uh, in Tassie with, you know, with the growers uh, who you are using? So usually would be my answer. Yeah. Um, the last two vintages have been challenging um, in the sense that I think I've had four or five Tasmanian trips cancelled through, you know, just as we know, the virus. Um, and so in that time... The vineyard that I get my fruit from, Bundalera, has changed hands. And so my communication with uh, the new growers um, has been more through phone and, you know, it's, it's, it's different. So I'm really keen to get down. I'm planning. I was actually talking to one of the other finalists the other day, Sam Cognier, and we we're plotting a, a, a Tassie catch-up hopefully in August. Oh, good. Yeah, we're chatting yeah. with Sam uh, in an hour or so. Um, yeah, she. Uh, oh, that'll be good. So yeah. Um, so is your the Chardonnay you're getting is that from down, sort of towards Hobart? Oh uh, no, it's up Relbia, which is up Launceston, so lower yeah. Tamar Bay. Um, but generally, what I've done is I'll fly in or out of either Hobart or Launceston, so. You know, I've got places that I like to see and friends mm. to catch up with both ends of the state. So, but if when it's generally it's vintage time, I'll just go in and out of Launceston. And um, I am really grateful. You know, like I live in a beautiful community here, but the people and friends I have on the ground in in Tasmania, you know, like Jeremy Janine's been really supportive. You know, he's since left. Joseph Cromie, but you know, in the time there, that's where I've pressed. So the fruit that um, 
the vineyard is very close to there, so mm-hmm. uh, him and Oki have been great in allowing me to press there, and then if the juice gets shipped back to me in Kunawara, um, I'll often stay with um, Fran and Shane up at Delamere, um, you know, good mates, yeah. Cynthia and Dave at Marion's, and, and then of course, you know, down in Hobart, there's um, Sam and Dredgy, so it's mm. there's a lot of great people in Tasmania and a real sense of um, I don't know youth and vibrancy. Both you know the people making the wines down there, yep. also the the rapid expansion of the industry. Uh, it's, it's so exciting to to watch and to chat to people about it, and um, and just yeah, there's this the, the I suppose the over overarching theme is this purity of of the climate down there um you know be it the soil the water the and then you know the wines as a result yeah yeah absolutely and it is you know that clean air um you know the cold the the rainfall i mean i am seeing climate change impacts in tasmania we all are and then it was initially when you think back to the the Piri days, it was, you know, Ed Carr's poor into there, it was definitely sparkling mm. that Tassie was all about, whereas, you know, the quality of table wine is not is not just vineyard maturity and greater winemaking prowess, it's, it's also the impacts of climate change. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so thank you for, for chatting and, um, and, yeah, giving us a little bit of an insight. I think uh, it's... Sounds like it's a definite stop. Uh, you know, one of the one of the wineries to visit when we come to Kunawara, and um, and people should get to the website. So that's Bellweather Wines. So Bell with W E T H E R Bellweatherwines dot com dot au. Get on and work out uh, how to how to book yourself one of the glamping tents. Yeah, yeah. Or if you've got your own camping gear, we've got we've got six camping sites for people. Okay. A lot of people travelling around Australia will drop in. Oh, that's a good but. tip because because there's yeah the Coonawarra um, you know does at times it does run out of accommodation so if certainly if you um, you know if you're towing a van or something and uh, that's a great option. Yeah, yeah. And then you can turn up for the tasting from four till five in the afternoon. <laughs> exactly. End your day right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so good luck with the with the awards. Um, so you got seven others to beat. So uh, good luck. Well, I've, I, I don't know of three others at the moment, and they're all very talented people and good friends. So if nothing else, we just hope we can all catch up in Sydney. Yeah, and have a have a fantastic dinner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Good one. Well, thanks. So we'll uh, we'll speak to you again, no doubt, and uh, enjoy your weekend.